Welcome to the first episode of the Sober Podcast. My name is Alex. And my name is Juan. This is a podcast that we created for people who have or are trying to get sober. We will discuss various topics dealing with sobriety each episode and welcome guests to share their sober stories with the hope of reaching anyone who's been afflicted by addiction. So welcome and let's jump right in. Today we will be sharing each of our sober stories so you can get to know us a little better. Alex, do you want to start? Absolutely. So uh, I'm pulling up my notes here and I divided this into three different sections. I divided it into what it was like, what happened, and what I am like now. So how I fell into addiction in the first place. From a very young age, I felt different than everybody else. I remember being all over the place with things that I enjoyed. I enjoyed building with connects, part of a boys choir that toured nationally and internationally, played soccer and led worship at a church for six years, but I always lived a double life. I fell into addiction during high school. I smoked pot before drinking, but once I drank, it was on. Alcohol was a gateway drug, not pot. When I drank, I was more susceptible to doing other things, and that's how I got into drugs. Living a double life, I would lead and play worship for a church. I did that for six years, and I would party on the weekends, though. I relied on alcohol to bring me to do things that I couldn't do otherwise. I felt like I could do anything while drinking, and so I did. Then came experiencing drugs during college. I was reliant on Adderall, alcohol, pot, and ecstasy to get me through college. I graduated college and moved to LA with a nice job with great benefits. Drinking every day, sometimes during the day, I got into my first car accident and that didn't stop me there. I became reliant on alcohol over a long period of time, not knowing I was getting closer and closer to the alcoholic stages. I met somebody, came out of the closet, moved in with him, and being in my first real relationship, my codependency issues became very apparent, but I drowned them with drinking and cocaine use. Everything that I didn't want to deal with, I drowned with drugs and alcohol. If my partner and I got in a fight, I drowned myself in alcohol and drugs. If work was stressful, I drowned myself in alcohol and drugs, and it worked for me until it didn't. My usage was getting out of control, and when I say out of control, I absolutely mean it. I was no longer in control of how much I was using or of my emotions. There's a term that's said called emotional sobriety, and there's a quote that talks about this, and it says, The general ability to feel one's feelings, it isn't about being happy, joyous, or free. It is about being in the present moment, whatever it happens to look like quoted Ingrid Clayton, a PhD. During my usage, this was the exact opposite. I was never present in any moment. I was always concerned about what somebody else was doing and why, never focused on myself and what I was doing. If I had done that, I would have noticed something was wrong a long time before when I actually did. My story includes a lot of different trips to rehab. I've been to rehab a total of four times, Every time was for a different drug, so cross-addiction is evident in my story. But the details of each addiction are the same. I was covering up everything I didn't want to deal with, with drugs and alcohol. In my life, there's something called the cycle of alcohol and drug addiction. 
I would be okay for a little bit and then I would use and I'd feel terrible about using. I would feel guilt and shame or something would happen that would set me off and I'd use again and then I'd feel guilt, shame for that. So I'd use again. There comes a time where no matter what is happening in your life, you're using and that's where I felt most comfortable always using. This led me to homelessness in Chicago for a year and a half. It started out me bouncing from friend's place to friend's place, but I would overstay my welcome and continue to get high, and slowly I ran out of places to go, and I found myself homeless. So next I'll talk a little bit about what happened, how the cycle was broken. I had finally had enough. I was homeless in Chicago and finally gave up that process and told my parents I was clean and needed a place to stay, but I wasn't clean. They had finally had enough and I found myself on the streets in my hometown for a small amount of time before finally giving up and going back into rehab for a final time. I had finally hit my bottom, which is important to say is different from for everybody. I had to be homeless, no one to talk to, no one to call, completely out of ideas. This took me years to get to because I had a lot of ideas. I was dead in all meetings of the word besides physically and I came close to dying a couple times physically too before I finally started to do the work that was asked of me in rehab. It doesn't matter what kind of work I did, anything was an improvement from where I was. Getting sober, everyone is telling you what to do here, what to do there, to the point where you don't end up doing anything but what you know, which is using and drinking, so we fall back. But the key is just do something different. Every action that you're taking is changing your subconscious and conscious mind to not drink and drug. And the more you do something else, the easier it gets. Part of my story includes AA, but I know a lot of people that have gotten sober and stayed sober without it. This may be controversial, but there are methods to the madness. But the easiest one is just to do something different than what you're used to which for me was using. Uh, what I'm like now, I'm a year and a half sober. I know how to deal with things differently. The obsession to use and drink has been lifted from me. I have somewhat of a keen awareness. I think that awareness is key to any personal development, sober or not. If we're not aware of the problem or situation, how can we expect to fix it? There's something called recency bias. Whatever is happening now is going to last forever, and I definitely felt that in my addiction. I had to get rid of that belief. The more that I do something, the easier it gets. Practicing new things, no matter what you're doing, if you're doing something different, it's helping. I've recently become a certified Jay Shetty Life Coach. I'm taking online programs, and I'm continuing my learning. There's a quote by Socrates, the more that I know, the more I realize I know nothing. And I think that ties back into awareness. That, that quote hits me hard because I really feel like I don't know anything, even though I know more about myself now more than ever. With that being said, I'm able to see life for what it is. Be mindful about what I say and do and move on from things that I need to move on from. I do have a daily routine that includes meditation, fear journaling, gratitude, and a brag book, along with affirmations. 
Uh, I do these things every day. This is important to me because it's what keeps me sane and peaceful. That's my story, so I appreciate you listening to it. But, uh, yeah, Juan, did you have any questions? Uh, So I did. Uh, First of all, I just, you know, I want to say thank you for, you know, for sharing this. Your story was very open and and vulnerable, and I know that's not an easy thing to do. So one of the questions that I had is, how do you feel your experience helped you to your ultimate purpose of being a life coach? That's a great question. So when I was in uh, rehabilitation services this last time around, I was introduced to a book by my sister called Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And I read that and I related with it. In the book, they talk about two different mindsets. One is the monkey mind, which, as you can imagine, a monkey mind bounces from idea to idea, never fulfilling what the original idea was. With the particular drug that I chose to do, that was my mind to a T. Um, And then there's also the monk mind. And that was something that I was not aware of. And when I read through that book, uh, I, I saw a mindset of somebody that I wanted to be. And for the first time, I saw a goal of mine that I wanted to achieve. I had never set goals in my life ever before, um, I, especially uh, with the intention of meeting them. So reading this book and finding out that Jay Shetty was a life coach was an instant aha moment for me. And everything kind of came into perspective for me. And I saw, all of a sudden I realized that everything that I've gone through, uh, everything that I had been through, and, and again, this was myself putting myself through this, but everything that I had been through can now be used to help somebody else. And, and I wanted to do that. It, it made sense for me. And in the book, they talk about this. There's this uh, word called Dharma. And it's basically something that you're, that you're good at, that, you're, that your skill set aligns to, something that you can make money off of because you need a living, and something that is in the service of others. And life coaching lined up for me for all three. So I signed up immediately for coursework, which was something that I had never welcomed in my life before. I struggled through college. I, I had to get licensed for my old job, and I hated studying. But this was a passion of mine, so it was easy for me to do. And that's how I became a life coach. Wow, that's, that's definitely inspiring. I, mean, I, I have to say that when, as you started sharing about your experiences, and then you mentioned... I mean, kind of like taking that and and owning that and creating something positive from it, it really got me to thinking, uh, now that you're at this moment in your life, how do you assimilate all of these things with your family life? Or or do you guys have a a relationship, you and, say, uh, your maybe mother, father, siblings? Oh, right. So... Yes, it's gotten a lot better since getting sober. That's one thing that I'm surprised I didn't highlight, but my sister and I have reconnected. We kind of took a break for, I don't know, six to eight years just because I was out doing whatever I was doing. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yes, and um, one of the things that 
happened at the end of my uh, using this time, I treated my mother and father very poorly. And that was a big drive for me. I remember being high uh, at home and physically feeling, I could see how I was affecting my parents. I could physically feel it, like I was some sort of empath or empathic all of a sudden. And I remember just going outside and breaking down because I was like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot, if for anybody, um, I can't affect my parents anymore. You know, one, one of the things that I always, I always thought about, and maybe it was just the paranoia, but I feared being in jail for one of my parents' deaths. That wow. was like a big thing for me. And I could see that I was going down that path. I had legal issues. I was just avoiding them. But more importantly, since I got sober and I've kind of gotten my life back on track, things have been a lot better. Like I just got off a, a, a call with them today, this morning. And yesterday I asked my sister how I can be a better brother. Uh, I, I'm just more aware of, of how I'm affecting other people. And that is happened solely because I have gotten sober. I can tell you that I lived a life with drugs and alcohol and I've lived a life a little bit of time sober and that doesn't come with using and drinking um, that type of awareness that type of mindset uh, i think using drugs and alcohol creates a block in our heads to where we can we cannot see or be aware of what we're doing to other people and to ourselves uh, i think there's just there's a strong denial component to it but but there's also just a block and and you see this in people that are not even quote-unquote alcoholics or addicts. They quit drinking because it's unhealthy, and they see an increase in their awareness. They see an increase in their purpose in their life because they've taken this section of harming themselves out of the picture. And I've heard diff several different stories with that. And that has just been shown in my life tenfold for sure. Oh, Alex, um, congratulations on having that relationship with your parents now and with your family. I know sometimes it seems like, you know, we're not doing harm or speaking for myself, harm to, you know, our families. But, you know, you sharing all of that just kind of like, you know, it's a big impact. Yeah. And I, yeah, absolutely. So I want to thank everybody for giving me the platform to share my story, but now it's time to hear Juan's side of the story. Thank you, Alex. I gotta say my story is not as organized as yours. <laughs> <That's> like <laughs> it's good. like, yeah. I had just, notes and I had pages and pages of notes, so that's why. Yeah, so you know, just, uh, <laughs> I just, just a warning, not a warning, but you know, precaution to everyone. It might be a little bit more uh, primitive, I guess. But, uh, you sure know, but <laughs> thank you. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, so I believe that my addiction or the root of my addiction came from childhood as well. I grew up in a small town in southern Mexico. Uh, we had a population of about 2,500 people. 
and that's on a good day when there's like a party or something. <laughs> Everybody just comes out of their, uh, you know, their their homes, their huts, <laughs> and you know, just gets together. So that town was extremely conservative and religious, uh, with Catholicism as the prevailing religion. And me, I was ever since I was a little kid, I was just so flamboyant. Like, there was no way to hide that <laughs> I was gay. Um, I would walk around with my sister's dresses and sometimes get my cousins. <laughs> yeah, that did not go well with my parents or grandparents, <laughs> you know, as, as you can imagine. So I did always feel like I was different. I never really quite would fit in with anyone at school or at home. And uh, so I live like that, just kind of trying to be something that I'm not, that I'm not, just so that I wouldn't attract attention. Because the last thing that I wanted in such a small town is to have the focus on me. I stayed there until I was about eight years old. My parents had immigrated to the United States a few years before that, and I was living with my grandparents. Now, and my grandparents, they were conservative, but there was always so much love and just care. Like, I, I could feel that I was surrounded by, by all of that. I was very happy, even, you know, with the, the environment that I was in on the outside, but my home life was happy. So upon moving to Southern California with my parents, one of the first scenes that I was greeted with, and I believe it was either the day I got there or the second was just extreme domestic violence. My father was, I don't know if he still is, um, I don't really have a relationship with him, but an, an alcoholic and a drug addict. And he would intoxicate himself until he just couldn't hold his rage and he would take it out on either us or my mother. And at the end of that, somehow the blame always came around to me like it was my fault and you know until like at that age you know i was eight or nine yeah i believed it hmm. i thought if only i was better you know a, a better person a better son if only i look different you know because I, I am a little bit on the darker side and you know i love my my skin color and, and everything and i'm so proud of it but you know my parents didn't see it that way especially my dad there was always preferential treatment to um to my other brothers, but I thought if only I'm I can be a little bit different, you know it'll be okay. Like I can fix it, and I just grew up with that for about the next seven to eight years. It was just one episode after another, and it was almost like living in a state of constant fear, and just fear, anxiety, and depression. Although at that time I didn't realize it but those were the things that were kind of setting the foundation toward my life uh, as an adult mm -hmm. uh, when it came to trying to cope with my feelings and that, not knowing what it was because we didn't really talk about mental health in uh, in my family or in you know, Hispanic culture it's not it's not something that we open up about so yeah I lived with him until I was 17 one time I went to my a friend's house to spend the night, and when I got home, let's just say my dad had asked me to move out, <laughs> and my dad, I mean, I got home and my furniture was smashed, 
in the driveway. And uh, I just remember that look in his face saying, you know what, I want you to get out of here and I don't want to see you again. Luckily, I had really good friends. And although I was unhoused for a few days, I was able to stay with them and finish high school and then wow. move on with other family members. So, you know, that's that's one of the things that I, I always feel that is, uh, there's so many things that can go that happen that are bad, but there's always a silver lining, at least to me. And that's how I try to look at things. Uh, now, back then it just happened. It was in the moment I didn't really, you know, it was what it was. At least I wasn't witnessing what was going on with my parents. So fast forward, I'm 19 years old, living at my aunt's, uh, working, going to school. I met a guy that, that I really liked. I knew that I shouldn't do drugs or drink because I've seen the effect that has on people. Mm -hmm. uh, but when there was that guy that I was really into offering it to me, you know, I just wanted to be accepted and I didn't think twice. Uh, that's the first time that I used um, crystal meth. And wow, like after using it, I felt a connection. I didn't feel alone anymore, anxious or scared. I felt like I wasn't that scared kid. Mm -hmm. Like I actually felt like I, I was somebody with a purpose. So that, I, th that was a huge turning point for me in, in my life. After that, I, I went on a few years. I started partying, um, drinking more, dropped out of school or college, and I started using meth more on a regular basis. One of those times, I was the victim of a uh, sexual assault, and it was terrifying, but at the same time, there was a point when I felt, where I felt like I was going to die, and for whatever reason, that left, left me with a lot of peace. You know, obviously that, that is not an answer to anything for me or anyone. I just want to make that clear. But I felt like he was going to kill me. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, okay, if I am going down, I'm not going to go down without a fight. And, you know, it's, it's a huge story, maybe for a, another moment. But, uh, you know, I got out of that situation. And from then on, uh, my life consisted even more heavily of just using drugs and just sleeping around with, you know, with men. To this day, I can only count the number of times that I've had sober sex. So as this went on, things started getting worse. Uh, I didn't realize it yet, but that was one of the, the moments that where my using went from, like it was an everyday thing, but without consequences to using, getting lost for a week, two weeks, scared. But I, I didn't, you know, I, I thought just that was life, that it was normal. At around that time, uh, I gotta say I was about 25 or 26, I, I met a man that uh, now is my husband. <laughs> I never uh, really thought that, you know, that I, I can find somebody that, that truly loved me. And I didn't think I was worthy of love because of everything that was going on. And I think like one of the biggest things that I've always thought was, if only I can find somebody that loves and accepts me, I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I use and drink, but that's, that's what's going to fix me. 
Uh, you know, surprise, <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> it complicated everything even more. You know, at that point I wasn't, I wasn't working anymore. I, I mean, I couldn't hold a job. I was good getting jobs, but it was actually like showing up and making it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> through the day, you know, without smoking. And uh, around that time, uh, that's the first time that I went to psychosis. I hadn't slept for about a week and I was just sleeping. I was so terrified thinking that somebody was going to go after me and kill me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time that somebody was in the room, I literally got a knife because I thought that my husband was hiding somebody in our mattress. <laughs> Started giving uh, warning steps. And it's, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but that's how lost I was in that delusion. And when days passed and, and I was still in it, I got really scared and I thought, oh my God, you know, maybe I crossed that line that there's no coming back from. And I, I was just terrified. That's when, you know, for whatever reason, I decided to call up a rehab and, and set up a, a meeting because I knew I needed help. And my life was just so bad at that point that there was nothing else that I, that I could do. Coming on to recovery, or I don't even want to say recovery, just getting sober, I really thought that, okay, I'm going to go to rehab, you know, get clean, and my life's going to be perfect. <laughs> That's nothing else. And I feel like I was just so clueless about how much more there was, at least for me, after that. There was still all of those things that I dealt with in the past, all those traumas, all the guilt for everything that I put my family and others through that every time that I would go and get clean, maybe sometimes it was four months, five, six months, I would ultimately end up relapsing because I wasn't addressing any of those issues. It wasn't until after many, many tries, about eight stays at rehab, um, <laughs> I should have like a freaking flyer card, <laughs> get something, you know, people like know me, like, oh, it's you again. <laughs> But that's when, when I was forced to just kind of like see myself for what I really was and realize that I couldn't keep hiding behind what happened to me in the past. There is a quote by James Baldwin that comes to mind, and I'm only paraphrasing, but he says history does not refer merely to the past. On the contrary, it is a, the great force of history comes from the fact that we carry it with us uh, history is literally present in all that we do. It took me a while to understand that when I first read it, but now I see that if I wanted to make a change and not keep that cycle that started with my dad and now I see myself repeating uh, onto my spouse and onto others, to, to a certain extent, of course, I needed to just make a change and, and just get, get honest with myself. And, you know, just like try, uh, therapy has been just amazing. That along with a lot of mental uh, health meds. And little by little, things are changing. I mean, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult than others. But I see a big change. And for me, recovery or just being sober is just one piece of a bigger thing. It is my whole life, but 
if I don't do what I'm supposed to, if my mind is not right, if I'm not healthy, if I'm not trying to exercise, uh, eat right, uh, you know, then I can't do anything because I'm at this point kind of fragile as anybody in early recovery would be that I just need to watch it and just give it all that I can because I cannot end up back where I was. And I just know that just like everybody else, you know, I deserve to be loved and, you know, and respected and like live a happy, happy-ish, whatever that means, uh, productive life. And I'm only going to find that through sobriety. So that's why I'm really happy to be here. And, uh, you know, thank you, Alex. And also everybody that's listening, because I really think that we can build upon each other and our, our experiences and hopefully help, you know, the person that's struggling that doesn't really know what, what to do. Yeah, that's pretty much my story in a huge nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for sharing. And I really commend your openness and vulnerability in sharing some intimate details about your life and your addiction. I know that it'll hit home with some people out there. It hit home with me. A couple of questions for you. You mentioned that when the first time that you had tried crystal meth, you felt like you had a purpose and starting to get sober and, and where you're at today, what would you define as your purpose? Thank you for asking that because that's something that I've been thinking about for a long time now. I am still not 100% on what that purpose is, but I know that I need to use my past experiences in order to do something good for the world. I've had many opportunities when I could have died and I'm still alive, and now I just kind of like want to make it worth it. The next question I had, you seem like you have your stuff together. <laughs> On the but, outside, thank you. <laughs> uh, yes. So my question is kind of centered around what was the biggest piece of advice that you have been given this time around in sobriety that you feel like has made the difference? The biggest piece of advice was that you know, we all make mistakes. This was by a counselor. He said, don't beat yourself over it. Uh, those mistakes don't define you. And you deserve just as many good things as anybody else, regardless of whatever choice you made in the past. And that really just stuck with me. I think there's something to be said for the journey that it takes in order to forgive yourself. And I know from previous conversations with you that you've kind of found that difficult to do. So it's good to hear one of your solid pieces of advice that you've received. Because I think I just mimic that back at you because oh. I know you struggle with that. And it's important to anybody else out there that, that relates to this that we all do make mistakes, and I know that doesn't make it feel better, but when we make a mistake or we fail at something, it's an opportunity for us to do one of two things. 
We can sit and wallow that we failed. We can sit and wallow that we messed up. Or we can actually learn from it and do something different so we don't make the same mistake and fail for the same reason again. And I think that there's a lot of power when you, one, become aware of that, and two, you actually put that into action. And you come out on the other side and you said, I learned from this mistake and I'm not going to do it again. I think for somebody that has committed crimes, that was addict behavior in in of itself. There was times where I could not control doing something that is, you know, a crime. And I had to make the active decision that I was no longer going to do this and that I'm going to learn from my mistakes. And I think that's a lot and will hit home with a lot of people because there's a lot of us out there that have done terrible things when we were high and when we were drunk. And for every person it's different, but the feeling is the same. And when we make that active decision to not do it anymore and we actually do that, then that's actually growth. And I think that that is important to, to state. I like how you put that, Alex, because there is a, a certain uh, feeling when you know that, you know, even though we did all of these things, there's other people that have as well. And just kind of like knowing that we're not alone makes everything feel less hopeless, uh, I would say, because, you know, it, at least for me, it makes me realize that I'm not a bad person, that, yeah, all these things happen, but there's other people who have done similar things or gone through similar things and they're thriving, they're happy. And I think there's a lot, a lot of power in that. You know, we do make mess up a lot and, you know, from time to time, especially me. <laughs> but, but, you know, just learning and growing, there's a lot of uncomfortable feelings when it comes to that, but it's ultimately worth it. Because once you get over that uncomfortableness, that new feeling, there's always something good on the other side. And it's just about growing and learning you know it's okay like you know what you mentioned it's okay to make mistakes i mean we are gonna do it we just need to learn from them and you know just be kind to ourselves right it's it's all about how we bounce back and how we learn from our failures i agree with that wholeheartedly okay that's it thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of sober please join us on social media at sober on facebook and sober underscore podcast on Instagram. And please join us for the next episode of Sober. Stay sober, friends. If you or anyone you know is struggling with addiction and would like to get help or more information, please visit the links in our show notes.